tonight, folks. And uh, just heads up, um, this is what one of those things, if you're working like a construction site, this would be like steel toe, hard hat area. So keep that in the back of your mind because what we're talking about tonight, and I'm not making a joke about this, we're talking about uh, the idea of forgiveness. And it's a tough, tough subject to talk about, especially when you've been hurt and wronged by people. And this is why we're getting into this tonight. This is part of the beauty of going verse by verse through the Bible because if I was doing topical studies, I would not want to teach on this subject. Because I know this rubs people raw. It hurts, especially when you've gone through things. But it's so vitally important to hit these verses when they happen. So let's get prayed up. Let's get ready and see what God has in store for this. Lord, as we just come to you now, hitting a tough subject tonight on forgiveness. Your word is alive. It's active. It's true. Thank you for being a God that is good and does good. Help us to learn from this, to grow in this, and to talk about this, Lord, and then to apply it in your name. Amen. Please take a look with me at Mark 11, 25 and 26. It says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now we have a couple quick things we have to lay some foundation work on before we can really get into this. Number one, verse 26. If you have possibly an NIV, your New Living Translation, etc., you probably do not have verse 26 in your Bible. That gets into biblical translations, which is a much deeper subject than what we're going to talk about tonight, if that actually interests you to say, hey, why does certain translations, the newer translations generally, NIV, NLT, not have certain verses that King James or New King James has? We can talk about that, and I'd love to explain that to you. If you're concerned about verse 26 not being in there in that point, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses, don't worry about it, because in Matthew chapter 6, same concept is there. So that verse is a biblical concept and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight as well. This is a tough subject, a very tough subject. That's why it's so important that when you go back, take a look at verse 22, same chapter, have faith in God. See, we have this tendency, and if your Bible's like my Bible, you have this little section that says verses 20 through 24 is one thought, right? And then verses 25 and 26 are kind of like another thought, right? Every now and then I'll be doing devotions with the boys, and like we're going through the book of Luke right now. And if we were going through Mark 11, and I'd say, okay, guys, um, we're going to read this through this. One of my boys always says, well, we're only going to do like 20 through 24. Why? Well, because that's a section. I said, but God didn't put that in there. He didn't divvy it up that way. This really reads like this. Look at 22. Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. When we break it up, we take away the key point here. The key point and from 22 to 26 is you've got to have the faith aspect. For some of you that are coming in tonight and the subject of forgiveness comes up, it is a mountain in your life that has been there for maybe days, weeks, months, years, decades, I don't know. Maybe you're harboring unforgiveness towards somebody or somebody's harboring unforgiveness towards you and it is a mountain that cannot be moved and you're ready to give up and quit. That's why it's so important to connect 22 and 23. It's a mountain that needs to be moved in your life. Forgiveness is absolutely awful. That concept of harboring unforgiveness is just this awful thing there that just comes back and eats at us. But for us to get to that first, 
we need to understand these other concepts. Look at 25. Whenever you stand praying, the goal is to see you go deeper in the Lord. That's the goal, is to have more of Christ. And as you're having that goal of wanting more of Christ, you're going to have to deal with these issues of forgiveness and unforgiveness, this mountain that needs to be removed in your life. So, if we want more of Christ, what does this look like? Can you go with me now to Colossians 3, please? Colossians 3. Having unforgiveness towards someone keeps you from a depth in relationship with Christ. It really just does. Because the key point is this. If you're willing to accept the forgiveness of Christ freely, but yet you're not willing to forgive somebody, then you don't fully understand how much you've been forgiven. Because when you understand how much you have been forgiven by Christ, you won't harbor unforgiveness towards other people. See, but here's the issue with that. We have this tendency to stop and say, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what they've done to hurt me. You don't know how they have caused problems for me in the past. That's why Colossians 3 is so important right here. Take a look with me, if you will, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Did you catch the theme here in verse 1? You're supposed to seek those things which are above. Verse 2, set your mind on things above. Verse 3, for you died. That's, that's pretty deep stuff, guys. Seeking things above, setting your mind on things above. Verse 3, I have to die to those things. I have to die to those things that want to keep me pulled down here on this earth. And one of the biggest things that I have to die to is the concept of unforgiveness towards people. Because why? Verse 3, my life is hidden with Christ and God. One of the prayer requests I always ask for, if people ask me what they can pray for, is I always pray that my identity can be in Christ. If my identity is in Christ, that's what verse 3 is telling me, and your life is hidden with Christ and God because I've died, that's going to get me through so much in life. Because just think about it. Just, I'll, I'll use me as an example so that way you don't think I'm picking on you. I can't let my identity be as a husband. I can't. Because that way, if Dawn and I get into an argument, then I've just lost who I am in life. If God forbid something happened to Dawn, then I've lost who I am because my identity can't be as a husband. It can't. Okay, my identity can't be as a father. Eventually, my kids are going to grow up and move away. They are. And if I make my identity as a father, I'm going to struggle so much as my kids get older because I am making my identity something that it's not Christ. I can't make my identity be a pastor. I love what I do. But I can't let my life be being a pastor. My life has to be Christ. So therefore, verse 3, I have to die and my life has to be hidden with Christ and God. When you take this to the fullest extreme, that means when somebody hurts me or wrongs me, it doesn't affect my identity in Christ because I am so set in who Jesus is. I can forgive them because I understand the forgiveness that Christ gave me. When I run into somebody who is harboring unforgiveness, let's go back to Colossians 3, 1 through 3 here again, means they're not seeking those things which are above. It means they got their mindset on things on the earth, not the things above. And verse 3, they haven't died. Does that mean I'm trying to take away the hurt of when somebody has wronged you? I'm not trying to take that away in any way whatsoever. I'm trying to teach you to look past this earth and the hurts of this earth, the wrongs of this earth, and everything that anybody's ever done to cause you harm on this earth. 
And I'm teaching you to try to look past this and to look to heaven, to look to eternity, to look to Christ and realize that he has so forgiven you. Therefore, you can now forgive other people. Matthew chapter 5, please. Generally at this point, I have somebody who's thinking, yeah, but you don't know what they did. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they did to my kids. You don't know what they did to my grandkids. You don't know what they did to this. You don't know what they did to that. And and the reality is, we don't fully grasp and understand what we did to Jesus. When I understand what I put Christ through, and he freely forgives me, I can forgive every other person. Because I, I just want you to follow this theologically. I can accept Christ's forgiveness for me wronging him, but yet I can't forgive other people? And please, please don't let your mind wander to, well, what this person did to me is worse than what I did to Christ. No. Nothing compares to what we did to Christ. And if you don't fully grasp or understand that, the best I can tell you is go back and read all the gospel accounts of his death on the cross. Go back and read Isaiah 53. Try to fully grasp and understand God's holy hatred of sin and the sins that I commit that Jesus had to die for. Let's put this into practical points now. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you should not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. What are we talking about here in 21 and 22? We're talking about a heart issue. You know, we don't use the words raka. The best ones I could come up with, and I thought way too much time on this today, so I wasted time. Raka would be, it means empty-headed. I don't know, nitwit, numbskull, something like that. Please don't waste the rest of the message trying to think of other ones, but just accept that. Empty-headed. The idea of you fool. Now, you know, you would stop and say, well, these aren't curse words. You could get by calling your boss Raka tomorrow because he probably is not understanding Matthew chapter 5 in any way whatsoever. It's not a curse word. The problem is it shows such an anger and a contempt. It shows a heart issue. It shows a heart issue for you to look at somebody in 22 and say you are completely, utterly Raka, empty-headed. You are a fool. We've talked about on Sunday mornings, if you haven't been with us, the power of the word fool in the Bible. It is showing such a heart issue and contempt and anger towards somebody and, and just bitterness and unforgiveness. That's why it's such a deep issue. So what are you supposed to do then? 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly and while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hands you over to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. What did it say in Mark chapter 11? Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. See, here, here's the point. We're desiring to go deeper. Mark 11, we're standing there praying. Matthew chapter 5, I'm bringing a gift to the altar. And as I'm trying to go deeper in Christ, what does the Lord show me? You you have issues with people that you need to go take care of. Okay, well, Lord, I'll, I'll take care of those later. No, 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 no. If I want to be right with the Lord, I need to be right with other people too. 
Because what the Bible is telling me is, once again, if I'm harboring anger and bitterness and unforgiveness towards people, that's really showing I fully don't grasp and understand everything that Jesus Christ did for me. That's why God says in Mark 11, if you're even praying to me, to God, stop the prayer and go make peace with them. Matthew 5, if you're getting ready to offer a sacrifice, stop the sacrifice and go make peace with them. Do you realize how big of a deal that is? God is saying, hey, go talk to them. Yeah, but God, you're the creator of the universe. You are everything. I want to put you first. Okay, if you want to put me first, go make peace with them. That is an absolutely huge statement. And so therefore, when I run into somebody who claims to be a Christian that has allowed bitterness and anger and unforgiveness to build up over days, weeks, months, years, decades, I have to stop and look at them biblically and say, wait a second, how can you be so right with Christ but so wrong with everybody else? It's not biblically possible. Because every time you pray and the Holy Spirit convicts you and says, you're not right with this person, you should stop that prayer and go to them. Every time you come and you lift your hands up and worship or say, I'm going to go sign up in the back or I'm going to go serve at VBS. And the Lord says, wait a second here. You got unforgiveness with this person. Yeah, okay, Lord, I'll get to it. The Lord says, no, get to it now. 23, leave the gift First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. 25, agree with your adversary. Look at the words here. Quickly, quickly do this. If not, what happens? Your adversary delivers you to the judge. The judge hands you over the officer. You'll be thrown in prison. Now, there's a lot of ideas on what that means and what that represents. I think the simplest thing for me when I read this in 25 and 26 is this. When I harbor unforgiveness in my heart, I am putting myself in this spiritual prison. I've just imprisoned myself in my emotions and my bitterness. Listen, you all know somebody who is a bitter person. They're probably really not that solid with the Lord. They may say they are, but the reality is those bitter, unforgiving people that you know them. You you can't mention certain names in front of them. You can't bring up certain situations. You can't bring up the past. You just can't. There's just so much anger and bitterness. I mean, I I do funerals. I do weddings. I do a lot of things like that. And things will pop up of just, hey, I want to give you a heads up, pastor. Uncle so and so and cousin so and so, they're going to have to not be near each other in the sanctuary. Why? Well, they, they, don't, they don't get along, and they get along, and like, whoa, hold on a second here. I'm not saying that they're Christians or not Christians. I'm just saying we're, we're allowing this to build up now over days, weeks, months, years, decades. And it's amazing how when you go talk to somebody who's bitter about those things, and you say, hey, have you ever tried making peace with so-and-so? My goodness. Talk about open a valve that you can't shut. Next thing you know, you hear every story about what this person has ever done, ever said, and, I, and I've heard the extremes. I will never forgive them. I hope that they go to hell. I hope that they, and we just hear all these things. And when you hear that and you start realizing that this person who claims to be a Christian is hoping that someone goes to hell, then I really have to stop and say, then I don't know how well you know Jesus Christ. Because that's what these verses are saying. If I can harbor unforgiveness towards someone, I have to stop and say, well, then how deeply do I understand the forgiveness that Christ has given me? You know, Romans 12, 18 is a great verse. As much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. The goal is peace. That is the goal, and that's what we're trying to do. Can you go with me to Ephesians 4? Here's the reality, though. 
My goal may be peace, but some people don't want peace. You, you may be ready to make things right and they don't want it. Can you make them? You can't make them. Don't let the anger sit in. Don't let the apathy sit in. Love them as Christ loves them. Forgive them. Do you know what the word forgive means as you're going to Ephesians 4? The word forgive means to simply, to let it go. That's what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means when I say I forgive you, it's saying I am letting every word, every wrong that you've done to me be gone. And so therefore, I'm no longer letting it have power over me because I have forgiven you and let it go. If you start saying I forgive you, but, then everything that's said before the but really doesn't mean anything anymore because you're really not forgiving them. Does this mean that you have a perfect relationship with somebody once you forgive them? Not in any way whatsoever. There's ripple effects that happen in this world, and that is another teaching for another day. I am talking about this simple point that you say, I can forgive them and I can let it go. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden the relationship is restored. But you have said spiritually, I've done my part and I'm able to forgive them and let it go. But what happens if they're not sorry? It doesn't matter if they're not sorry. Them being sorry, them being repentant is not based on us forgiving them. It's not. I can forgive people that are not sorry. Them saying they're sorry is on them. Me forgiving them is on me. So you can have somebody who's completely hurt you, wronged you, and done unspeakable things to you. And they are not sorry in any way whatsoever. You can still forgive them. Because you're representing Jesus Christ. Does that make everything they did okay? Of course not. But it means you no longer let it have power over you. You know, an an extreme example of this that I heard was, uh, I think it was back in the 60s. The, the nation of Germany was going to make uh, reparations to the nation of Israel for everything that happened in the Holocaust. Millions of Jews dead. And Germany was going to try to make reparations there with Israel. And there was a lot of people in Israel at that time were saying, we, we can't accept this as a nation. If we accept this as a nation, it means that we're saying what they did was okay. And the nation of Israel, then the leadership came back and said, no, by us accepting this does not make it okay. It puts us behind it and we can move forward. Nothing can be done to make what they did okay. See, this is the thing. I think when people hear this this idea of you need to forgive them, it means you're saying what they did was okay. No, what they did was wrong. You're just not letting it have power over you. Well, somebody needs to judge them. God will judge them. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He will repay. And I've heard people tell me, he's not doing it quick enough. I know. Aren't you glad he was slow with you? And I can just tell you what everybody's slow with me. I've never done anything like this person's ever done. See, now we're in the element of pride. I mean, I'm a sinner, but I'm not a sinner like them. I've done wrong things, but not like, oh, come on. We've all nailed Christ to the cross. And he forgave us. So since he forgave us, we can forgive others. Ephesians 4, please. What happens when we harbor unforgiveness? Verse 25, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Well, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Be angry and do not sin. I take verse 26. I'm allowed to get angry. It's what I do when I'm angry that determines whether it's a sin or not. So somebody has, has hurt me, wronged me, my, my wife, my kids, the church, the Lord. I'm allowed to have an anger about that. But I can't allow that anger to become sinful anger. Now you may be asking, when does anger become sinful anger? I can't speak for you, but I know without a shadow of a doubt when it flips from anger to sinful anger in my life. I just know. 
And I can make excuses and I can whatever, and I just, nope, I, I can't lie to the Holy Spirit. In my heart, I just went from, yep, I'm upset, to now I'm sinfully upset. So when I'm angry, what am I supposed to do? Not let the sun go down on my wrath, because what happens is it gives place to the devil. See, what happens is you give the devil a foothold, and according to Corinthians, the devil gets a stronghold. So all of a sudden, somebody's hurt you and wronged you, and you don't let it go. And those days turn to weeks, to months, to years. And next thing you know, there's a stronghold. There's a relationship lost. And it's just an awful, horrible thing. That's why it's so vitally important. As soon as you realize, I am angry and upset at this person. I need to forgive them in the name of Jesus Christ. If not, I'm the one that's going to get hurt. I'm the one that's going to become bitter. Someone sent me a quote years ago that says, Bitterness is like you taking poison but hoping the other person dies. Bitterness destroys people. So take a look at 31, same chapter. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. That's what it comes down to. If not, according to Matthew 5, I'm imprisoned. I'm imprisoned by revenge. I'm imprisoned by bitterness. I'm imprisoned by this. My relationship with Christ is hurt because I'm not fully understanding the forgiveness of Christ and therefore I'm harboring unforgiveness towards other people and then therefore it hurts me and my walk in relationship with Christ. That's why when you ever you stand praying, Mark 11 now, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. If I understand how I have been forgiven... I will then want to have that forgiveness towards other people as well. All righty. A couple other quick passages on this. Uh, let's go to Matthew 18, please. Matthew 18. All right. As we're going to Matthew 18, anybody got any quick questions about this? We're going to keep developing this point here as we go on this evening. This is a tough one. I get that. Matthew 18. Anybody got any quick questions about anything here? All righty. Matthew 18, please. Matthew 18 is a great parable that the Lord gives us here to talk about this concept of forgiveness. Verse 21, please. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? That's a setup. That's Peter trying to look big. Seven times. That's a lot to forgive somebody, right? Because there's different teachings of the day on how many times you're supposed to forgive them. And there's other places in the Bible where Jesus says seven times 70. I've told this story before. I met a guy one time that actually kept track of how many times he forgives people, and he'll forgive them up to 490 times. Talk about a joyless, legalistic man. And I'm not making a joke. But he was going to forgive people 490. I don't know what happened at 491. I don't know. Love to find out, but that's just my sassy side. But the point is, the idea of seven is supposed to this big. Jesus going seven times 70, it's a little bit of hyperbole. It's a little bit of exaggeration. It's a little bit of using numbers there to show completeness of this complete, utter forgiveness that could happen. So he uses this parable. 22, Jesus said to him, I not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him, owed him 10,000 talents. Now, depending on your translation, New Living Translation calls this millions of dollars. I've heard some estimates all the way up to maybe a billion We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and the payment be made. 
The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That, one translation just says, a few thousand. One commentator I read said he basically owed this guy one six hundred thousandth of what he had owed the other guy. Now, just think that through. He owed this guy, this guy owed him, I should say, thousands. He owed this other guy millions, maybe up to a billion. What does he do? Laid hands on him, took him by the throat. In the Greek, that is violent wording, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into the prison till he should pay the debt. And you already see where this is going. This is the point. I have been so freely, I mean, we just sang that wonderful worship song at the end, wonderful, merciful Savior. And then I'm going to hold a grudge against somebody? How does that even make sense? 31, so when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that he had done. Do you realize in 31, who, who saw the harm here? His fellow servants. Not the guy that threw him into prison. Here's what I've noticed. People that are bitter, people that are unforgiving, they don't really notice it. It's just become so normal to them. You ever notice things? I mean, think right now about the most bitter, unforgiving person you know. Aren't they just always upset at somebody? Somebody's always cutting in front of them at Walmart in the checkout. They're probably the person counting how many items in the 12-item only lane, Right? They're always upset at this. They're always upset at that. They're always ticked off. They always have the worst bosses, the worst neighbors, the worst co They just walk in this bitterness and this anger and this unforgiveness, and they don't even notice it. Who notices it? 31, fellow servants. 32, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. Because you begged me, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? That, that's it. That's why they say in Mark 11, when you stand praying, stop praying. Go forgive them. Matthew 5, when you're offering your gift at the altar, go forgive them. Have pity on them. 34, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. 35, from his heart. Come on, parents. You've parented like I've done. You've done the forced forgiveness between your kids. Tell your brother you're sorry. I'm sorry. Good. Now go play. Yeah, that's really from the heart. That's, uh, that's the picture of the love of Jesus Christ right there in the Irvin household. From the heart. Well, how do I know if I've forgiven him from the heart? You'll know. Just like when I know my anger goes from anger to sinful anger, I know when I've really been able in my heart to say, I, I let it go, Lord. I forgive him. I forgive him. You'll know. Right now in your heart, if you're here tonight and you have any type of unforgiveness or bitterness towards somebody in your heart right now, you know whether you've truly forgiven them. You know whether you've let it go. And you've understood that. If not and you're walking in that unforgiveness, take all these phrasing here that we talked about. Matthew 5, you're imprisoned. You're imprisoned in bitterness and anger. I've been in that position. I know what that prison feels like. A few years ago, I was so upset at this one person that even when their name was mentioned, not, not that person specific, but just the same name that that person had, 
It just automatically made a pit in my stomach just hearing that name. And good golly, the person had a really common name. You know what I mean? I was in prison. 34. I had been tortured. It's torturous to harbor unforgiveness. I've tried. I have tried to say, I'm not. I'm not going to let this one go. This person's gotten away with enough. This one, I'm not. And you try, and it's just torturous. There's so much more freedom in just saying, Lord, I forgive them. Because, God, you've forgiven me. And if you're sitting here tonight saying, I can't forgive them. It goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the message. In faith, you have to say. And I've even counseled people before. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I can't forgive this person. But in faith, I'm praying I can that I can let this go because I don't want to carry this anymore and I confess I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I was right and then I became wrong because I was the one that got hurt, but then I took that hurt and I became sinful with that hurt. And it's time for me to say, Lord, I forgive this person from the heart. Not some little casual outside whatever, but from the heart, I'm really ready to let it go. Can you go with me now to Luke 17 here so we can get ready to close this up? What happens now when the person so hurt and wronged you comes and says they're sorry? Well, we're supposed to forgive them. Luke 17, verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. See, there is some other steps to this. I said we can't get to all the depths of this tonight. The main aspect is the idea of forgiving. There is the Romans 12 that I mentioned earlier. As much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. You can biblically go to somebody and say, listen, you're wrong on this. You know, if you claim to be a Christian, you're not representing Jesus Christ in this. If they're not a Christian, I don't know what you're really expecting. I don't say that to be crass or anything like that, but you can't expect Christian behavior from non-Christian people. If they haven't been born again and saved in Christ Jesus, then they probably don't care about asking for forgiveness. They don't really care about being there sorry. They really don't. This is why it says in verse 3, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. What happens if he doesn't? Verse 4, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Boy, that's hard. If you're here tonight and you're in a bad marriage, that's hard, isn't it, to constantly forgive? If you've got somebody that's constantly at you, you know that's hard to forgive. That's why, once again... Don't, don't chop the Bible up so much. Just take, just take a look at this. Let's read it straight through. Verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Why did the apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith? Because they just stopped and realized what it meant to forgive people. And they said, we can't do this. See, so often when we teach on faith, we just go right to Luke 17, 5, increase our faith. Why are they saying increase our faith? Because Jesus just told them in verse 4, you've got to forgive people. And so now they say increase our faith. And what does Christ say? Verse 6, so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it will obey you. We talk about faith of a mustard seed all the time. Did you realize the context of the faith of the mustard seed is 
Lord, I need to have more faith to forgive people. That's how hard unforgiveness is. That's why you have to understand the words of Christ from the cross was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Christ, who was God, but yet man, also needed to say in the flesh, Father, forgive them. So that way, he wasn't harboring unforgiveness. That's an amazing example that he set. Back to Mark 11, please, and let's finish this up. If I understand how I have been forgiven, I should forgive others with that. With everything we just said now, let's look at Mark 11, starting 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. That your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Look at all the connecting dots there. The importance of faith, the importance of saying, Lord, if I want to be right with you, 25, I means I also need to be right with others. Let me stress to you again, forgiveness is a beautiful thing. It does not mean what they did was okay. It does not mean that you're accepting what they did. It does not mean you're saying, hey, no problem. It's saying I'm letting it go. They're still wrong. God knows that. God would take care of it. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. Forgiveness does not mean you're waiting on them to say they're sorry. Forgiveness is not waiting for them to repent. May not, may not. If you're here tonight and you have wronged somebody and they're not willing to forgive you, there's nothing you can do about that. You can go to them in the name of Jesus and love of Jesus and say, I am sorry, I am wrong. If they choose not to forgive you, you can't do anything about it. Don't let the enemy get in on that one. But if you're here and you're standing, praying, or offering your gift at the sacrifice and you stop and it comes to your mind, I do not have peace with this person and I know I'm wrong on this and there's something I could do to help make peace. I need to forgive them. I cannot stress to you enough, forgive them in faith, in Christ. If not, you will find yourself imprisoned with bitterness. You will find yourself tortured with bitterness. It will come back to hurt and bite you. Forgiveness is a difficult thing. But unforgiveness will destroy you and suck the joy out of your life in many, many ways. All right, does anybody have any final uh, questions, comments in here about anything before we close up? Yeah, Marv. I was wondering, you know, you're supposed to forgive everybody for everything. And there's a servant that owed a lot. He said, oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And the next guy that Right. If you don't say you're sorry, there's still the aspect of forgiving them. And Jesus set the example on the cross there. When he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He is setting the example. Who? Jesus? Right. I take that when Christ was on the cross, when he said, Father, forgive them, not what they do. It was not this blanket idea of sins forgiven, everybody gets to go to heaven. I take it as this idea these people have no concept of what they're doing at this time. And that's what the book of Acts is talking about. If I can find the reference real quick, I'll share it with you. It was a forgiveness in the sense of, let me see if I can find it right here. Oh, I'm not going to be able to find it right this exact second. I believe it's in Acts chapter 3. 
And that's where I would send you guys there. Yep, here it is, Acts chapter 3. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as also did your rulers. I take that to mean what Christ was saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. It is this understanding of Jesus is saying, I have no bitterness over this, I have no anger over this, I am letting what they've done to me go, that they crucified the Messiah and put me up there. It's different than the salvation forgiveness that we experience. John. Um, Forgiving, for me it's easy. I've done enough deep walk on it. And I forget. But how do you forget? I know God can forget. Right. And and you get haunted by, I still forget, but forget yeah, when, you, when I get that one figured out, I'll let you know. Um, no, no, in all, in all seriousness, I, I would go back to the first verses that we said in Colossians 3. If I'm, Colossians 3, 1, if I'm seeking those things which are above, if I'm setting my mind on those things that are above, not the things on the earth, Colossians 3, 2, for I have died, Colossians 3, 3, it becomes easier to forget. I'm not saying that I've reached that point, but that is the goal. If I'm constantly, eternally, heavenly minded, I'm starting to let go of all my connections on this earth and realize I'm not going to dwell on what's happened on this earth. But until there is no flesh on this bone and I have my glorified body in heaven, I don't think I'm ever going to reach that point. Because Satan is the adversary. That's what his name means, adversary. He loves to bring up past hurts. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is so powerful when it says love keeps no record of wrongs. It's such a beautiful goal. And it is. And I tell you, I've done counseling with couples that is just, and for them to still be married and healed, forgiveness is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But there's times in my life where I'm trying to be so heavenly minded and Satan says, yeah, but you remember they said this? Yep, I do remember they said this. And I can't wait to get to heaven where I will no longer remember that. But right now on this earth, I do remember that. And in the name of Jesus and faith, I have to let that go because I've told them I've forgiven them, so I let that go. And when the enemy wants to bring it back up, I need to, as Corinthians says, take those thoughts captive. I have to kill those thoughts. And I have to remember what Paul said in Romans, I am renewing my mind. My mind has to have a new way to think about it. For anybody here this evening that has harbored unforgiveness, or if you're harboring unforgiveness right now, this is what I've just noticed. You have to keep replaying it in your mind. You do. You just have to keep reanalyzing and replaying it. And they said this and they did that. And I can't believe they did this and did that. You have to keep throwing fresh fuel on the fire. The beauty of forgiveness is I don't want to throw any more logs on the fire. And eventually the fire just starts to go from a blaze to a flicker to some coals and hopefully eventually out. But when I throw a new log on it, oh man, I'm bringing it back up again. Why would I want to do that? So I, I'm just being honest with you, John. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. How do you forgive yourself for things that you've done? And I just said, more than charity. Paul had to beat that people to yeah. death, killed. And I, I can't imagine how much anguish through his life came from what yeah. he had done before Christ. Absolutely right. And this is, I've heard people teach on this before that they said, Don't you think that every time Paul got up to share the gospel, Satan whispered in his ear, How many widows did you make? How many orphans did you make? How many men did you kill? And that's why Paul said in Philippians that he had to take what was behind him. Not that I have already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I did not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm just going to throw this out there, and, and I hope no one thinks I'm being offensive when I say this. The big catchphrase I'm hearing a lot lately is this idea of, I have to learn how to forgive myself. 
I don't know if you have to learn. Jesus did. He forgave you. So therefore, if Christ has forgiven you, why do I have to learn how to forgive myself? Christ forgave me. I'm just supposed to be like Christ. And I've noticed sometimes that people will not, quote unquote, forgive themselves, and they walk in this pit of despair. And there's like, oh, woe is me. And it almost happens. It turns into getting attention when they're the ones that have wronged people. So listen, if you've done something wrong and you are completely wrong and the God of the universe has decided to forgive you in his grace and mercy and has tossed into the depths of the sea like Amos says and as far as the east is from the west, why are you holding on to it? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's almost like saying, well, God's forgiven me, but I want to hold on to this one for a while. Why? Let, if God has chosen to forgive you, be like God. Forgive. I messed up. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And as far as the east is from the west, and if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Any final questions here or comments about anything before we close up? All right, why don't you guys stand with me, please? Go ahead and pray. Lord, as we just come to you now, you are such a good, good God, and you are a God that is full of grace and mercy, willing to forgive, quickly forgives. Lord, you have forgiven us, and I praise you for that. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would take that forgiveness you have given us now and apply that in our lives. If there's somebody here tonight that's harboring unforgiveness towards someone in the name of Jesus, they could let it go and they could be set free. They could be set free by what you have done, the example you have set. You are so good, God, and we love you and we thank you. And if there's someone here we need to forgive, help us to forgive them. And Lord, if there's someone here that we have wronged and we've gone to them and they won't forgive us, help us just to know and to trust that you're moving and working in ways that we do not see and that mountain can be moved. In faith, we pray that we pray and trust that that mountain can be moved. And if there's someone here tonight that we need to go to, to make things right with them. Lord, help us to do that in the name of Jesus, to go represent you and to go be and humble ourselves. Leave our gift at the altar. Leave standing praying right now, tonight. Get prayed up, contact them, and make peace. And let the enemy be bound, Lord, in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless. If you're interested in baptism, let me know. We'll get some information in your hands.